you ever have, I call, I call it a uh, second, second sleep dream, you know when you're sleeping, you wake up about three or four in the morning and you go back to bed, and when you go back to bed, you have a better, you just have a better sleep, but your dreams are super vivid. Last night, I was, you know, I woke up, wasn't sure if we're going to have power in here or not. I woke up about three or four in the morning and then I went back to bed and I had the most vivid dream you've ever, you've ever experienced, and it was Will Snyder was in my dream. And Will Snyder grabbed me by the shoulder, and he's pointing at me, and he goes, Chris, you got to improve on your preaching. Well, I, I'm not kidding you. He said, you got to improve on your preaching, and you got to quit being so mean. you got to start having some upbeat sermons, because you're so, you put such a drag on people when they leave here. And I woke up, and I'm telling you, I changed my whole sermon. So here we are. Here we are. I'm, have you ever seen how tall Will is? He's really tall. He's really tall. So um, actually this month we're going to, we're going to enjoy this month. We spent two years on Matthew, but this, this month is a month of gratitude. So we're going to be going through this simple series of gratitude. The icon we're going to use is like a sunflower that is blooming and just uh, radiating joy. And so gratitude is the message. And today we're going to talk about gratitude from a mental perspective, where we, how we think, because thinking always affects living. So um, when I was a kid, and when I was about seven years old, I learned this song, and it went like this. It goes, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they heard good news, and they passed it on. Listen and learn, look and see, the gospel books are for you and me. Good news, good news, the gospel means good news. And I won't sing it for you, I'll save your ears a little bit, but it's a nice little ditty. And uh, it's right, good news, good news, the gospel, that word gospel means good news. But if you look around the church, I mean, if you really look around a lot of different churches and Christians and the church spaces and faces, is, is it really reflecting, is what we believe really reflecting good news or a lot of us just kind of upset, angry, frustrated, as if what we believe is bad news, or even boring news, where I find a lot of Christians are yawning all the way to heaven. Yeah, I know about forgiveness. All right, what else you got? What else you got? I was with a good friend this weekend, and I asked him, I said, why do you think this is? Why do you think for a lot of Christians... The gospel isn't really good news necessarily. And he said, I think it's because they spend a lot of time just looking in the mirror. He said, I think they're self-obsessed, and with that, they fail to see the larger picture. And I think there's some truth to that. But I would take it a step further. I'd say not only are we consumed with our own glory or our vision in the mirror, I, um, I think we believe we deserve that glory. I think we not only are obsessed, but I think we deserve to be obsessed with our glory. And when we don't get it, when people don't recognize how important we are, or how special we are, or how significant we are, we uh, have the right to become angry, whiny, pouty, mean, and we, all, we can become justified in our misery. I'm just going to be mad, and I'm going to vent, and I'm going to let you have it. There's a lot of venting going on these days, as if we're justified in that. It's my right, I'm angry, I'm mad, and I'm just going to let it go. And you have to deal with it. 
Because I think to some degree, we think we deserve good things. And when life is good for me, things are great. But when it's not, look out. Or you could even say, in other words, we have, as Christians, a nasty tendency to forget what grace means. Grace means undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. And when you see grace rightly, I think you appreciate greatly. So the title of gratitude, actually the, the Greek word for grace is ingratitude. It's extending grace back to others. It's being thankful for the grace you've received. But gratitude isn't a payment. Like because I give you something, I say thanks, thanks, thanks. Gratitude is an expression of being overwhelmed by what you've received. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And so gratitude starts from understanding, and I think those who understand are the ones who are filled with the most joy. And maybe a lot of the Christians have grim faces because they don't rightly understand what they have. And so the title of this message this, mor this morning is, I don't deserve to be this happy. It comes from the Christmas carol. If you ever remember Ebenezer Scrooge, I know some people don't like talking about Christmas yet. I get it. I don't. But I love this part in A Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge is an angry old man, and three ghosts visit him at night, one of the spirit of the past and the spirit of the present and the spirit of the future. And they, he realizes he lived a terrible life, and he deserves a terrible death. And then he wakes up, and he's given another chance. And when he's given another chance, he can't believe it. And there's one scene in the movie where he wants to be mad, but he can't be. He throws his pen up in the air. He goes, I just don't deserve to be this happy. And to me, that is the expression of somebody who understands grace, where they really say, I just don't deserve to be this happy. So we're going to talk about this. And hopefully you'll understand mentally what you have so that emotionally you will be exploding with joy. So to do that, I'd like you to open up the Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read from verses 9 through 14. Verses 9 through 14, Colossians 1. Here's what it says. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, and you are the Colossians. So when you read the Bible and it says Colossians, Colossians means to the church in Colossae. Colossae was a city. So it would kind of be like if I wrote a letter to you guys, it would say Kent Sidians. So Colossae are to the church. These people who were Gentiles, they received the gospel. So Paul's writing to them. And he says, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to walk through it. But I want to start with context. Where is Paul writing this? And why is Paul so happy? And should Paul be so happy? Because in truth, if you start in verse 3, he is exploding with gratitude. Chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God the Father for our Lord Jesus Christ. We're thankful. And then you get the verse 12. He says the same thing to the people. He says giving thanks to the Father. So gratitude is bookend in this section. Chapter, verse 3 and verse 12. And in the middle, verses 9 through 14 is pretty much one long sentence. If you notice in verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, there's comma after comma after comma. And if you ever taught grammar, this is terrible grammar. Because he can't stop exploding with joy. I just got to tell you, I'm so thankful. I'm praying for you. I heard what's going on. I want you to grow. I just, he keeps talking. It's like, Paul, take a breath. Hold on. So why is he so happy? In my mind, he has no reason to be happy because he's writing from jail. He's in prison. How can someone be thankful when they're stuck in prison? He's sitting next to a guard, chained, possibly being led to Rome where he's going to be decapitated. How could he be happy? How could he be thankful? This should not be the case. He should be miserable. Why doesn't he just roll up in a ball and whine? Well, there's some reasons. Maybe Paul believes in the power of positive thinking. You know, if you think good things enough, life will get better and better with this Christian saccharine sweetness. I knew a lady that every time you'd see her, you'd have to say, she'd say this to you, God is good, and you had to say all the time. And then you respond to her all the time. And she says, God is good. And then she slaps her kids across the face and smiles back at you. God is good. Like, have you, like there's this weird Christianity that if I'm a Christian, I always got to be happy. Jazz hands all the time. Jazz hands. Is that what's going on with Paul? Is he having jazz hands in the jail? Maybe Paul just doesn't realize he... He should be kind of like a modern-day Christian where he's just got to learn to just be blunt, honest, and miserable. I'm just going to tell it like it is. I hate these rats. I hate how that cell drips. You know, it's moist down here, and I'm getting an ache in my back sitting on this cement, and I'm chained up to this rotten garden. It's ripping my hand apart. I hate this. Boy, a lot of Christians are just like that. But they got a right to be. I'm going to let you know how I'm feeling. All Twitter is, is just a rant. I'm going to let you know. I just wish Paul would have known he could have been blunt and honest, just be a real person. Is that the problem? Or maybe God forgot about him. Maybe he messed up. You know, he was supposed to be God's chosen apostle. Maybe God, for crying out loud, just let him go. Forgot about him. He's left all alone in his jail cell. God isn't coming through. I mean, doesn't everyone? I mean, if you look at some Christians, doesn't everyone have the right to demand good treatment? Shouldn't things always go our way? Don't Christians have the right to expect blessing? Were his 
We're his children after all. He's our father. He should take good care of us. And when we go through tough times, where is he? Shouldn't my spouse meet my every need? Shouldn't my friends always be there for me? Even if I'm mean to them, they still need to be there for me. Shouldn't the government give me the life I want? That's the American dream, isn't it? Should give me everything I need. Or maybe, maybe in this moment when Paul's writing this, maybe he understands that he has been given far more than he ever deserved. Maybe true Christianities are those people who realize that everything I have is from Him and it's a gift. Even this air that I'm breathing right now, have you ever just looked at your family and said, I don't, I don't God, thanks. Verse 6, he says this, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. And I'm going to try to pull out all that truth today. It's not just a moment. It's every day. It's amazing. Ephesians 1.7 says it's lavish. Like it's just, it's, it's a downpour. And so I don't think, in a sense, when Paul writes this and he's full of gratitude, I don't think he's being falsely positive. I don't. I think he understands this, that gratitude is the only, it's the only appropriate response when we understand grace and the gifts of grace. It's not just grace, it's constant giving of grace. They're gifts. And if they're gifts, that means they're not deserved, they're just a blessing from someone who loves you. He loves you. They are also overwhelming. God does more than you can ever ask, hope, or think. And that you receive them. You don't earn them, you receive them. A gift's received. You say, thank you. Wow. You don't earn it, you receive it. And so here's how I'm going to do this. So we're going to show grace and all its truth. But I want to do it with an illustration, and hopefully this will make sense, and I'm going to pull out this illustration every once in a while. So let's say, you're, like, you're one of your friends who's really rich has been watching you, and he's been noticing you're having, your life's not going well. It's hard. And he comes up to you, and he says, hey, my wife and I have been talking, and we've, we've noticed life's pretty tough. We've decided to buy you one week full paid trip to a chalet in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which is one of the most beautiful, expensive ski resorts in the world. And we have got you an A-frame cabin right under one of the most majestic ski mountains. It's bordered by pine, with, and the pine is kind of covered in a delicate snow. It has a chimney where all the fire, you just can sit by the fire. And all you got to do is receive this. Here's the plane tickets they're paid for, and this is the reservation. Do you want it? Nah, no thanks. No thanks. <laughs> yeah, I need a week. You mean it's all paid for? Everything you want, just take it. We just love you. We just want you to have it. All right. So you go, you fly in, you get it like, paid for a rent-a-car, you take the rent-a-car to this, it's a massive A-frame chalet. Massive. You go to uh, the rental place, and the person takes you there, opens it up, and says, 
You can go in, just enjoy. I'll be back to show you all the amenities. I'll be right back. Give me about 15 minutes. So you go in, and you and your two kids and your wife, and you put all the bags down. And you notice it's a beautiful room. It's got a picture window. You can see some of the trees. You look around. It just has a couch, but it's a pull-out couch. Pretty nice. There's a bathroom. It's pretty nice. And a co little coffee table. And that's about it. I mean, it's nice. It's free. But you're like, man, isn't that great? Really? Not that good. But, hey, it's free. Fifteen minutes later, the person comes by and says, hey, how do you like it? It's amazing, isn't it? And you're like, eh, it's okay. I mean, I like it. I don't want to complain. I guess I'm supposed to like it. What do you mean? You don't like this? Well, I was expecting a little bit more. Did you open up those two doors over there on the right? No. Oh, <laughs> open up those two doors. So you open up these two doors, and you go in there, and to the left is a master bedroom with four other bedrooms. There is a, a gigantic entertainment center with a massive screen, and out on the back porch is an infinity pool. And then to the right is a kitchen that has all this hamburger meat, steaks, all you can eat. And they said, hey, if you ever run out, just call us. We'll restack it. And then you can go down off of the deck, and there's this little, like, one of those tractor motor cars of all these skis that you can take you to the ski resort where you got a free pass up the gondola. you got ice skates, snowshoes. You can go shooting with guns. You can do whatever you want. But at first, when you're in there, you're like, oh, this is okay. And then you open your doors, and you're like, oh, oh, this is unbelievable. That's what grace is. But I'm afraid many of you, you might have had a ticket, but you haven't gone to the, you haven't gone to the chalet yet. And some of you have gone to the chalet, and you're like, it's all right. Yeah, I'm supposed to get excited, but it's not that great. Have you opened the doors? So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Grace What's been given to you, what's been paid for you in the past, we're going to talk about grace in the present, where you are right now, and then grace in the future. What you can have if you just open the doors. So look at verse 14. This is grace in the past. Past grace. In whom we have redemption... Forgiveness of sins. Okay, let's stop there. This is the foundation stone of the rest of it. And if you don't understand this foundation stone, the rest of it won't matter. And if you understand this foundation stone, honestly, it's all you need. But I'm afraid too many people have grown bored with this. So let me just kind of explain it. So it says, in whom we have redemption. Redemption means you've been purchased. You've been bought. You've been bought at an extremely expensive price. God had to murder his son for you. And some of you are like, well, you know, I kind of deserved it. You deserve to have the perfect son of God take your place? Who do you think you are? So God, God sent his son for you. Okay, so that's the redemption. That's the purchase price. And what did this purchase price do? It's forgiven you of all your sins. Stop there. That means all your debts have been paid. They're done. 
question is, have you grown tired of this? And if you've grown tired of this, shame on you. This is incredible. Do you know what some religions do just to try to achieve this? Muslims, Muslims all pray five times a day. They have to hear that prayer in the morning and the afternoon at night. They have Ramadan. All of that is just to try to achieve what you have by faith. Hindus believe in this weird thing called karma where they live a horrible life so they don't have to live a horrible life in the next life because if I don't live a bad life now, then my next life's going to be even worse. I might end up a fly or a gnat. That's what they believe. And you don't have to be in that weird cycle of karma. You know what Buddhists do? They beat themselves up. They suffer, thinking suffering is going to somehow please God. You don't have to do that. You don't even have to be a legalist. You know what legalists do? They put on this weird thing called a tie. It's just a piece of cloth that they tie in a knot, and they think wearing that to church on Sundays somehow makes them holy. And if I don't go in the morning and evening and on Wednesdays, and I sing songs that kind of make Deb Danielson dance, I could not... I could be in trouble. You don't have to worry about that. Why? Because it's over. <laughs> let me show you, let me show you the greatest verse ever. Go to John 5:24. I I bring this up a lot because it is um, actually after the first service, I've determined I think I'm going to make this my life verse for the rest of my life. It's that good of a verse. It's just that good of a verse. And I'm going to walk you through it. And I'm going to walk it through you simply. And the reason why is I shared this with a person one time. That while I was talking to them, it was the weirdest experience. While I was talking to them, they came up to me worried. Like, like they were kind of um, scared to death of their eternity. And it's like they, had, they were blind, you know. They didn't understand anything. And I said, all right, I'm going to walk you through this verse and then you tell me. After I walked them through this verse, it was like scales fell off of their eyes, and to this day, they aren't, like they aren't, in that one moment, one verse changed them, because this verse is incredible. Listen how it starts. So it's John 5, 24. Begins, it says, I tell you the truth. So who's saying this, first of all? Anybody know? Okay, Jesus is saying this. Question, just a real quick question. It's a very serious question. Is Jesus somebody I can trust? Like, is his word trustworthy? I think it is. I think it's pretty good. Okay, so if Jesus says this, should I, Jackie, should I believe it or doubt it? Believe it absolutely. So if Jesus said this, I believe it absolutely, which is sad. I don't think people believe Jesus too often these days. They say they do, but you got to believe what he says if you really believe him. So here's what he says. Whoever, that word means whoever represents whoever. So whoever is a pretty good big group of people, isn't it? Is there anybody out of that group? So you want to talk about inclusion. Whoever, whoever. Here's my word, that means the word of God is the gospel goes into the ears and it doesn't go in one ear and pass out the other. What it does, it goes into the ears and it sticks in this brain thing. 
and this gray matter. It sticks in there. That's what hearing is, and it understands, but not just understands, look at the next word, believes. That means accepts as true him who sent me. So that means when I hear the gospel, I believe that he sent Jesus. So I believe both of them exist. They're real. This isn't a fairy tale. We're not playing games. I'm not saying this because I'm a pastor. It's, it's a statement of reality. And Jackie, does Jesus, is he trustworthy? Okay, she says he's trustworthy. Second time she's confirmed that. Not yet. You're, Jackie, just hold on. All right. So believes him who sent me, and what does the next word say? TJ, what's the next word say? TJ, you following me? It's has. You see it? Yeah, it's bad light. It's has. It's has. So it's H-A-S. What tense is has? Present tense. It's mine right now. I possess it. What do I possess? Eternal life. So if I hear him and I believe that he exists and he sent Jesus, he has eternal life. And then it says, and will not be condemned. How many of you condemn yourself? Like, like really condemn yourself? No good. I don't know why God would want me. Do you know who I am? Well, it says here, if you believe this, you've passed, you've crossed over from death to life. Have you ever met someone that's just been forgiven? You need to, because it will excite you. What was it like when you were first saved? Do you remember what it was like when you were first saved? So that is the basis of grace. And if you start there and really understand it, it's like a well that starts shooting into your life. It starts taking over your brain. And you start changing. And that's past. Now we're going to go to present. Present is verses 12 and 13. Present is kind of like stepping into the chalet for the first time. I'm in the chalet. Listen to what it says in 12 and 13. What have I stepped into? Well, I've stepped into giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. That means all of God's goods, all of his riches, all of his wealth. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. Verse 13 may be one of the most beautiful descriptions of where we live. It's, it's amazing to me. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, this dark, dreary, evil realm ruled by the devil himself. He's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, listen to how he titles it, the son he loves. It's a land of love. Acceptance, kindness, and goodness. And I am qualified. I want you to understand this word a second. This word is amazing. So yesterday I went to a football game to watch my son play. 
And if your son plays on the football team, you get two tickets that get you into the football game for free. And since I'm his father and he's my son, I'm related to him. I don't know if you know how that works. If a father has a son, they're of the same family. Because we're of the same family, I get in for free. I've been qualified to get in for free. And because I believe the gospel, I become a child of God. I have the right to become a children of God. I, I'm qualified. And maybe this means a lot to me because I was the youngest of six kids. And you'll understand what I mean by this. So when I was the youngest of six kids, I, was, I had four older sisters, an older brother. I know you hear my stories, but you'll understand how I think. I was a nice guy as a kid. I looked a lot like Bobby Brady. If you ever watched the Brady Bunch. I had Bobby Brady striped shirts, you know, like a red and blue striped shirt. And I had my hair to the side. And I was a real nice kid. I was Bobby Brady, really nice guy. But the problem is, I was always the youngest. So when we went to Cedar Point, my sisters got to go on the corkscrew. They held up a stick to Bobby Brady, and I was always under the stick. I couldn't go on the corkscrew. And then when my sisters had get, got to go to a movie like Rocky or, you know, they got to watch Jaws, it was PG-13, and I was only 11. But they got to go. And then they would have a nighttime you know, like at night, in the summers, they could stay up till midnight. I had to go to bed at 10. So from 10 to midnight, I'm hearing them play Capture the Flag in our backyard with all our neighbors laughing and screaming. And I'm stuck in my Bobby Brady pajamas in my bed. And then they got to have sleepovers where they get to invite their, their friends over, their girlfriends who'd sneak in on their little brother and throw pillows at them and stuff, and I'd yell at them. And I never got to have a sleepover because I was too young. And then I turned 13. And when I turned 13, I was taller than the stick. I was qualified to go on the corkscrew. I was qualified to play capture the flag until midnight. I was qualified. I never had a sleepover, though. I, guys don't do that kind of stuff. It's kind of weird, you know? It's kind of weird. But qualified means I'm in. I'm in. I get to be a part of this. We have been qualified to leave this rotten and, excuse my language, crappy world and live in this. And so many of us just live over here. I'm qualified. When I, so when I was in high school, I think in stories, I'm going to tell a lot of stories. Say, when I was in high school, I played football. And I didn't want to join the varsity team. I was scared to join the varsity team because of this thing called two-a-day practices. In the middle of August, we had two weeks of practices that started at 7 in the morning till about 11 o'clock. Then we went back from 2 until 5. At the end of the practice, we had to run the sledding hill for sprints up it. And I hated it because it was so hot. And if the coach was mad at you back in the 80s, they wouldn't give you water. That's just how they did it, you know. Like, I'm going to punish you. No water the rest of practice. Now, you, you know... They don't do that. But for two weeks, I didn't, want to, I didn't want to do that. That stunted my growth. I would have been 6'3". But because of that, I didn't want to play, but I played. But one of the things is, is if you made it past two weeks, if you made it past two weeks, they gave you your, you got to pick your number of your jersey, and you got to wear your jersey at school for the first week. They also had a pool party. Where they went to the Bay Village community pool and they bought 
all the pizza you could eat. So that was the incentive to make it past the two weeks. So after I made it past the two weeks, you know what I did? I said, I'm going to be more righteous than the rest of those guys. They can go to the pool party, but I'm going to keep running hills. So while they're all splashing in the water and eating pizza, I went back to the sledding hill and ran sprints because I'm just so much better than all the rest of those slackers. You're probably saying, what is wrong with you? Like, really, what's, why don't you go have a good time at a party? Exactly! Why don't you have a good time at the party? Why are you always grumbling and complaining and life stinks and, like, everything's terrible and nothing's going good? And wish God noticed and nobody, he didn't answer my prayers. And why don't you come over here and bask in his love for a while? God, I trust you. I'm going to, Chris said a great thing. He said, come. And just lay it down. He goes, I don't like to come. I like to pick, figure it out. There's a, the best prayer in the Bible. Love this prayer. Is when Jesus turned water into wine. And it was Jesus' mom. And they said, Mary, we need some wine. And she goes, I don't know what to do. Why don't you go tell Jesus? That's prayer. So, live in the light. I was, Telling the first service that when I was a little kid, I'd watch these weird movies. And there's a weird 70s movie about these people that would walk around town like this all the time. They always walk around town like this. And, you know, and everybody walked around town like that. They shuffled their feet and they looked down. And uh, the reason why is they didn't know it, but if they just jumped, they could fly in the air. But some people didn't like them flying because they'd get in all kind of trouble. So they all had this weird rule. They had to walk around like this. And one of these kids said, Mom, why do we always walk around like that? And he goes, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go in the backyard. He went in the backyard, jumped, got on this rock and jumped, and he started flying. And all the, all the rulers of town said, hey, you get down out of the sky, and you get back down and shuffle your feet and be miserable. That's American Christianity. Stop being miserable. So what about the future? The future is, so we go back to that original illustration. You have these two doors that are closed over here. But if you want, open them up. It's all yours. Do you want it? The question is, you got to want it. In fact, it's interesting. I'm going to walk through this, but one person, one commentator says, verses 9 through 11 is really a reestablishment of what we lost in the Garden of Eden. So the Garden of Eden, everything was good. Adam and Eve were healthy and fine and happy. And then sin came in and corroded. And now that the Holy Spirit has been given to us, he now reworks back into us who he originally wanted us to be. And this is what it says in verse 9 through 11. And I kind of put them on this idea that we can be filled and bearing fruit and strong. So verse 9 says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Like kind of, the idea is that Paul wants you to open those doors. God, help people to open the doors. We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So the first thing is he wants to fill us up with his knowledge and his will. He wants us to love this. And to incorporate this in our life. It's funny, I used to, 
I used to be really good at this. Josh Whitehead will acknowledge this. I used to be really good at guilt. When I was a youth pastor, I was a master guilt layer. And here's what I would do. So when my wife and I, when we were in Russia, when we were in Russia, we got to teach the Bible in public schools, and we brought, we brought tons of Bibles over to Russia. And we'd come into class, and we'd give people a Bible. And there are some ladies there that were old, and they never their whole life for 70 years got to see a Bible. And we gave them a Bible. And they took the Bible, and they would go, da, like, yes, I can have mine? Yeah, sure. There's some ladies that would go like this, would go. take it home. And it was overwhelming. In the time when Michelle and I were there, we didn't realize it because we were so tired. But when we got back, we are like, do you realize how people just loved this book when we gave it to them? And when I started teaching teens at first, you know, I'd teach teens, they'd fall asleep on me and yawn. i go, do you guys understand what this Bible is? Man, we gave this to Russians, and they loved it. Look at you. You just treat it like garbage. Man, I could lay on the guilt, couldn't I, Josh? And I would say, do you know when you read the Bible and there's a name in here like Isaiah, do you know Isaiah was sawn in half for what's written in here? Do you know like guys like Paul and John? John was boiled in oil for what was written in here. Paul was beheaded for what you have in your hands. And I'd throw it at the kids and I'd say, I can't believe you treat the Bible like that. And I realize that doesn't really work anymore, you know. I realize what, what works is this. There's two doors over here. Do you know what's behind those doors? Open them. Because sometimes when you're in your lowest and you'll be in the Psalms and you'll read something like this. You know, you'll be like, man, life stinks. And you'll read Psalm 73. And Psalm 73 will say, as a dream when one awakes. So when you arise, O Lord, you're going to despise the wicked man as a fantasy. You're always with me. You hold me by my right hand. You got me with your counsel. Who have I in heaven but you? And earth is nothing I desire besides you. And you read it and you're like, I don't know how to tell you, but that's what I needed. But you want to open the doors. That's all you got to do. That's all you got to do. We keep reading. Look what else she got in Colossians. Not only you be filled with the knowledge of his will, but verse 10, you can pray in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. What? Here's what he's saying. He's saying now that you've been redeemed, now that you've been bought back, and now that the Holy Spirit is in you, you can start looking like a person of this land who's noble and good and bright and strong. You don't have to be an old chimney sweep over here who's full of dust and dirt and angry and bitter and pointing the finger. You can kind of have hope if you want it. When people see you, you can be noble. You know, people over here, when it comes to lust and porn and all this stuff, it's kind of like, why would I want that world again? I'm kind of free over here. You want freedom? 
That's kind of what he's saying here. You can, you can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Wow. And then the final thing is you can be strong. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So you have great endurance and patience. So when life is tough, I'm all right. I'm going to be okay. Over here in the gray world, people are kind of thin. C.S. Lewis kind of depicts it as people are thin and wispy. But in the land of the kingdom of the sun he loves, people are solid, strong. Are you an ambassador for heaven or more like a chimney sweep for clinging to this dry, old, dusty, dark world? I want to end on this verse. If you go to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12 is a song. It's a song of Isaiah. And it explains everything I said, but in a poetic, beautiful way. Isaiah chapter 12. And it's really a song of gratitude. It says song of praise, but it's a song of gratitude. Because so many times he says, give thanks. But it begins in verse 1. It says, in that day. And this is, that day is the day of salvation. In that day, you will say, I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, like although I sinned against you, I wasn't perfect and I'm not perfect. All of us are flawed. Although you were angry with me, your anger's turned away. And you have comforted me. It says, surely it's God who's my salvation. So while God was angry, and he had every right to be angry, it was the God who was angry which became my salvation. That's overwhelming. So the God who had every right to destroy me is the God who rescued me. And so because of that, Isaiah can't believe it. So he says, well, sh you know, I'm going to trust and not be afraid. Hey, Jackie, question for you. Is Jesus somebody you could trust? Okay. Third time's a charm. No charm. Jackie, no magic in church. Very well. I agree. So I'm going to trust him. And I'm not going to be afraid. The Lord, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. And because he's become my salvation, look at verse 3. With joy, you will draw waters from the wells of salvation. When I understand it, joy is who I should become. And that's why he ends by saying, in that day, you will say, give thanks. You know the story, Cinderella. Cinderella's very simple story. Cinderella's dad died, and she's left with her stepmother. Cinderella was kind Nice, a servant to all. And Cinderella one day was visited by the fairy princess and said, you get to go to the ball. She was overwhelmed. She couldn't believe it. Cinderella, however, had some stepsisters. Those stepsisters weren't kind. They think they deserved everything. They were nasty. They were angry. They were jealous. They were critical. And they think they deserve to go to the ball. 
So here you have Cinderella, who can't believe she gets to go to the ball, and you got the stepsisters who think they deserve to go to the ball. Enter the prince. Which one do you want to marry?